0: Welcome to the Denver United Church Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Rob Brendel. Uh, I am here for the second week in a row on Sunday morning, like now, now is now. When you're watching in your living room or in the park or wherever you are, we're here in the auditorium. God's presence is here. Now all of this new equipment and capability is here, and the only thing that's not here is you all. So here's what I decided, we decided, after getting surprised by this virus and having to scramble and kind of lay the tracks as we were running on them the first time around going to online, is that I didn't love that experience, was willing to do it, but didn't sign up for it on like auto-repeat. So what we decided to do soon after that, knowing that a day was coming after the world flipped upside down, that it was going to flip right side up again, and maybe with not a lot of notice either we were going to work really hard and find some people in our congregation, like the ones I just introduced to you, uh, who are smarter than we are on all this stuff, and get all ready so that when the, the state of public health and our officials say, yes, we are all ready and can open the doors. Now, here's what I'm telling you. We are virtually already. Now we're getting a little better at it and a little more comfortable with it each week, but we're ready. So what we're doing is exactly what you're doing, which is monitoring the, the state of the virus and public health in our city and in America and the guidance ongoingly from our health officials and government leaders. Granted, that advice is getting more complicated to discern because it's becoming increasingly politicized. It being an election year doesn't help with that, But in the midst of that, we're seeking God's good sense direction, and as soon as it seems safe and responsible to do so, we're going to open up and begin inviting you to come join us for worship here in our church facility together on Sunday mornings. Now, our hope has been and our goal that we set for ourselves was August. Of course, as you're aware, over the last two weeks, there's been a bit of a resurgence in the, or, or a lot of a resurgence in the coronavirus around the country. Less pronounced but still very present in Colorado. Denver, like most other major cities, is reversing course just a little bit. We're monitoring that closely. Pray with us to hear God's voice clearly. Um, I know that lots of you watch uh, news attentively and have lots of of very well-informed and fairly strong opinions about how this ought to be done and what masks um, mean and so, Pastor George asked if if he could be the sole sort of collector of that input. So I'd like you to email your strong opinions. If you've got a video, a really like like uh, sharp. Uh, um, pointed video of somebody telling you what's right and that everybody else is dumb, send it to Pastor George, please. Uh, And he's going to take all that and pray, labor in prayer over it. All right, Uh, bottom line is we're living it in real time just like you. We're going to be back together as soon as it seems responsible, safe, and wise. And in the meantime, here's the great news. We're ready for you. So uh, let's Talk about the Word of God, shall we? You know, uh, let's just pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we give our attention and our focus to your Word now and ask you to speak to us, counsel us, and comfort us through it. Spirit of God, make it come alive in us. We are your servants, and this is our worship in Jesus' name. Amen. After last week's service, I had a conversation with my mom where I was lamenting what I was just telling you, that which we can do something about is so much less than that which we can't do anything about. I feel like we're at the mercy as a nation, uh, as, as a, a global humanity, and as a, a church of a set of forces that are constantly changing that we don't quite understand what they are, and that that move us in a different direction every day or every week. And, and that was becoming discouraging to me. And my mom wisely said, you know, there's a lot that we can't do anything about. And maybe the best way to live is, is give to God and, and, and not worry so much about the stuff that we can't control, and then really lean in to the stuff that we can. Our encounter this morning as we continue in our series called Encounters with Jesus, is found in Matthew chapter 8. I want to read this to you from the Word of God. You can read along with me starting in verse 1. The Word of God teaches, large crowds followed Jesus as he came down from the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you and take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Large crowds, verse 1 teaches... We're following Jesus at this point as He came down from the mountainside. Jesus, in Matthew's order of events, had just concluded His toweringly significant and world-famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was cresting in popularity. This was the time generally during which it was being said of Jesus, He doeth all things well. He was... Still in the glory cloud and still in the congratulations and the post-ministry euphoria of that great and significant address when suddenly in verse 2, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt down right in front of him that means he got in his path of descent. Maybe he's walking down a trail and it's probably like trails now, like a single track, maybe a little double track, you know, so that the mountain bikers can pass you without you having to step into the bushes. But this guy comes and kneels down right in front of Jesus. And if we keep a six-foot bubble with coronavirus You can imagine that with leprosy, that was like way bigger and way less politically contentious. I don't know that there was any faction that was saying, ah, leprosy is not a big deal. You're infringing on his constitutional rights. Go ahead and give the man a hug. Come on. Give me a kiss. They all understood what that meant. Leprosy was something around which the people of God and the people of first century Middle East civilization, all agreed. So here's Jesus coming from the Sermon on the Mount, cresting in popularity, being congratulated by people. They were wanting to make Him Messiah. They were wanting to make Him King. And in the middle of this afterglow moment, the impertinence, even the distraction from his exploding ministry of this unclean man right in his path, literally and metaphorically. What is Jesus to do? What you see is something in this encounter that is so indicative of Jesus' way, of the way he was, carrying literally the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders, the redemption of humanity, three years in front of him, and counting backward. And yet Jesus always made room for people. Think about it. Think through the other encounters that we've talked about, maybe from a different point of view. Think through the other encounters that come to mind as you remember your study in the Word of God personally. Jesus always made room for people. How antithetical to everything Jesus would it be for him to do what all of us would do, which is like, oh... Right? We'd go way around. Jesus always made room for people. He somehow had a way of communicating without even using words that nobody was a throwaway person, that nobody was an impertinence, that no, per- impertinence, that no person was anything other than a child of God, and that every single person he encountered was important. What an amazing thing Jesus did. He always made room for people. He valued them. He dignified them, no matter what. I remember back in high school, I can't believe I remember this. There was a, a kid that everybody liked. His name was Chaz Parsons. He was like he was just one of those guys that was cool but didn't try to be cool. Everyone just liked him. And you know what I think looking back in my 40s at this like 17-year-old kid, what was so special about him? None of us had the, the vocabulary to describe this or the emotional uh, maturity to even understand this is what was happening. But we all respond to it. He was the guy that no matter what he was talking about and who he was talking with, usually it was other popular kids, right? If you walked up, he would do this almost imperceptibly. I don't even know that he knew he was doing it. He'd take a step backward, making the circle a little bigger. Others would probably without knowing it subconsciously follow suit, make the circle a little bigger, and then he'd look at you so that you were, it was clear, invited into the circle which is so antithetical to everything high school, which is when someone comes up who probably isn't as cool as you, you take a step in and kind of communicate whatever is going down here, it is far, far too cool for you, right? And all of us are having like high school PTSD flashbacks. Jesus had a little Chaz Parsons, or maybe <laughs> Chaz Parsons had a little Jesus and just didn't know it. The popular guy who led others in the one that everybody wanted to be with, who made the circle bigger. That was Jesus' way. He always saw, accepted, and engaged the ones who were off point. Remember this encounter? We're going to like have an encounter with an encounter because I think this is a corollary that draws out this idea so unmistakably clearly. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. This was after the time Jesus preached all night. He had to get in a boat because they were pressing in on him. He was exhausted. He was trying to get a little shut-eye. The disciples were freaking out as they were crossing the lake. They had to wake him up. They're like, don't you care that we're going to drown? Jesus calms the wind and the waves. Probably didn't do a lot of sleeping. So he gets there after, to say the least, a rough night of sleep. And when he got out of the boat. No sooner had they put their feet on the ground than a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And like, how prosaic that the man with the impure spirit was hanging out in the tombs. What was he doing? Was he like visiting the grave of his deceased grandmother? I don't know. It seems later that he was in the tombs because he was pretty jacked up. And that's where they locked him up. This man lived in the graveyard. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Some of the other gospel accounts say that they had tried to bind him hand and foot in the graveyard. Like, what has to be going on in your life? How socially maladjusted do you need to be for your townsmen, your fellow citizens, to think that it's a good idea to drag you out to the outskirts of town to a graveyard and chain you up there? They're like, no, chaining him up in an open meadow, that's probably not gonna do for the creepiness of this dude. I don't know what that was about, but he couldn't even be constrained. He kept breaking the irons that bound him. He had often been chained hand and foot, tore the chains apart, and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Scary. Night and day among the tombs, I think it's Luke's gospel that tells us he was naked because who is going to hang out in tombs, chained up, clothed? If you're going to go, like, go all out, right? So he's like full send crazy guy, as the kids say. And he would cry out and cut himself. So he's in the tombs, and they're like, all right, leave him there, and we can get a little peace. But they hear him wailing and crying from the outskirts of town. So Jesus arrives, and the first guy from this community in Jesus' surging popularity time that comes to meet him, his welcoming committee to the region of the Gerasenes, is this massive ball of inner dysfunction. He ran up, and as seemed to be the way of people, falls on his knees right in front of Jesus, so he can't get to shore except for awkwardly going around him or dealing with this guy? And in verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And now some would say that this is merely an account of what happened. And yes, exactly. This is an account of what happened. But how many dozens of other things would come to your mind when greeted with such a scene? And I doubt the guy suddenly stopped wailing, being naked, having broken chains hanging from him, or be frothing and being crazy. So he comes up to Jesus kind of like this. Jesus exhausted a crook in his neck from trying to sleep on a boat. And he's like, Jesus, what's your name? He dignified everybody. There were no throwaway people for this guy. Who loves like that? A man with leprosy, verse 2, approached him and knelt before him. This, like the man with the hundred demons, was no garden variety interloper. This was no everyday social impertinence. This interruption had teeth. Because the man had leprosy. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. One culture historian observed no disease was more dreaded in the ancient world than what they called leprosy. The social and psychological effects were absolutely devastating. In addition to the horror of the effects of the disease itself and its incurable nature, the disease would cause parts of your body to go ashen, to lose feeling, and then ultimately like to fall off. So people would be horribly disfigured. And there was no cure. But in addition to that, the sufferer experienced banishment from society. The person who contracted the disease was considered widely in public perception as good as dead. These living dead were also thought to be under God's judgment, so they heaped on spiritual significance, a sort of warped theology that said that they were justified in treating these people as less than because God treated them as less than as well, that this was evidently God's judgment on them. As society... Sorry, as ceremonially unclean and contagious persons, they were required to keep themselves separate from society. So they were ostracized physically. And to announce their approach with the words unclean, unclean. As the leper in this story no doubt did in the present instance. So this man would have come up to Jesus saying unclean, unclean, and fallen right before him. They were... They would have been avoided by others at all cost for fear of contagion. These wretched untouchables were trapped in a life of hopeless misery. The man with the leprosy came and kneeled down before Jesus and said, If you are willing, I know you can. But what I've not seen a whole lot of in this wretched, miserable life is anyone who is willing. Willing to acknowledge my existence. Willing just to pretend I didn't exist and leave me alone. Willing not to hate, scorn, and shun me. If you are willing. If you're willing to see me, I know you can help. And friends, just like first century Palestine in the day of Jesus and his disciples, 21st century Denver is full of marginalized people who are asking the very same question. Are you willing? Are you willing to see me? Are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Are you willing to go out of your way? Are you willing? Jesus's attitude toward the leper stood in marked contrast to the attitudes not only of the people of his day, but even of the other rabbis, the religious leaders. One historian observed that a rabbi would not eat an egg purchased in a street where there was someone with leprosy. That was how they expressed their religious devotion. Another rabbi Historian recorded, threw stones at lepers in order to keep them away and thus preserve his purity. It's easy to look at those guys and say, How horrible, how unenlightened, Neanderthal, unthinkable to us. But are we so different? Many of you remember Ronnie a very dear friend who last year went home to heaven after a a really difficult life. Ronnie would sit here and he would always say, amen, pastor, amen, pastor. Well, Ronnie, among many other challenges, suffered from severe diabetes and toward the end of his life had to have his foot amputated, so he was in a wheelchair. He was almost completely blind and he lived down on South Broadway, kind of the 500 block, Um. He was crossing the street there by Moe's Barbecue in his wheelchair. He thought it was clear. He was wheeling himself across Broadway, got hit by a car. As if life hadn't been hard enough. Now, might somebody have not seen him? Sure. Perhaps they were looking at their phone for a second. I'd be lying to say I never did that, though I try not to. But you know what? They knew they hit him. You don't hit somebody in a wheelchair and not know it. And they didn't even stop. Perhaps Ronnie wasn't worth stopping for. Perhaps Ronnie was a throwaway person. How different Jesus lived. Verse 3. I love this about him. Jesus reached out, touched him. Before he said a word, he reached out to this Wretched, untouchable, who bore a disease that above all you learn in nursery school, you don't touch them. Jesus, knowing that full well, in view of all the masses coming down from the Sermon on the Mount, reached out and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be healed. Of course, instantly the leprosy disappeared. The stigma of leprosy made it astonishing, unthinkable that Jesus would have touched him. I think the alarm, I think the scandal, the buzz would have been far greater that Jesus touched the man than even that he healed him. By now they had seen him heal people, but they had also heard him do it by just saying a word. He healed people long distance. He didn't even have to go be in their physical presence. He didn't need to touch him. He touched him to make a point. He could have just spoken the word. He didn't even have to speak the word. So why would Jesus do that? I think that is the question of this encounter. Why would Jesus do do such a thing. In Mark chapter 1, that gospel's version of this encounter adds one phrase different from Matthew. If you are willing, the leper said, you can heal me and make me clean. Verse 41, listen. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. Why did he do it? He was moved. He was motivated. His hand was driven by compassion. Compassion would have been substantiated merely by healing the man. But for Jesus, that's cheap compassion. Moved with compassion, Jesus modeled not only miraculous, wonder-working, healing power. He modeled a heart that was able to be moved by the plight of someone so untouchable and wretched, someone who had been told he was a throwaway person by his society. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and gave dignity to a person who was completely undignified, moved with compassion, Jesus said, not only can I heal you, but your life matters. You've heard us say over and over and over again over the years, Denver United's mission is threefold and simple. Living with Jesus, living with family, living on mission. That's what we're all about and that's what we're going to keep being all about. We've leaned into Jesus and re-established what it means to live with Him during this COVID lockdown, world-changing time. We've leaned into family against the social pressure and the, the internal pressure to isolate, hunker down, and just wait for the storm to pass. Now let's lean into living on mission. Living on mission means, friends, that Jesus' example, the Word of God, reaches across the world through the millennia and says, will you reach out your hand and engage our city in need? Will you reach out your hand, just like Jesus did? Roll up your sleeve. Be put to inconvenience. Take the risk. Be bothered in a time that many of us feel like we couldn't be bothered with anything beyond our own survival. And engage our city in need. See, there's a lot out there that we can't control. And the more we sit around fussing and fuming about it, demonizing people that think differently than we do, the more bound up and hopeless we find ourselves. There's a lot we can't control, but what about what we can? The poor we have always had with us, the marginalized, the overlooked, the underserved, those in great need in our own city. I would imagine that for many who would be a part of that community, the needs that they're experiencing are only the more profound for what we're all enduring together. We've got stops to pull out and many of us are pulling them out. Many of us are hunkering down together, living on someone's couch, moving back into mom and dad's basement, working a second job, cutting it to essential spending only, not going outside in order to keep ourselves safe or protect the elderly or health vulnerable with whom we are prioritize relationship. Even so, there are many more in our city who live on society's margins, who don't have the stops to pull out. And sit on the brink of helplessness, hopelessness, and utter ruin. And this is something we can control. Remember C.S. Lewis, as we talked about last week, he wrote, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. There are no throwaway people. There are no disposables. There are no good as dead. You know, the truth of the matter actually is there aren't any because that's all of us. We would all be throwaway people, lost in our sin, dead in our selfishness left to our own way, except Jesus Christ wasn't content to leave us like that. He came to this world, walked in our shoes, died on a cross so that we could be forgiven, redeemed, restored completely, and free to live the life again that God created us as daughters and sons to live. Some have asked me, is this the social gospel that we're veering into? You know, are we going, gasp, like liberal theology? What about evangelicalism? And friends, I would say that this is the gospel. We're not talking about a political agenda here. We're talking about people. People created in our Heavenly Father's image. People whom Jesus died for. People who are... Immortals and eternally loved by our good Father in heaven. The least of these, immortal. The least of these, bearers of the image of God. In Isaiah 58, God says you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is that what you call fasting? Is that what you call religion? Do you really think this will please God? No, this is the kind of fasting, this is the kind of religion that I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. And give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. This is what devotion means. But what about the gospel? We can feed them a sandwich on their way to hell. But what good's that going to do them, you might ask? You know what I say? This is the gospel. You cannot separate the soul of a man from his physical being. All together, we're made in the image of God. This man's leprosy, it's all of ours. All of our brokenness, physical, emotional, mental, relational. It's all fruit, one and the same, of the fall of humanity. It's all the implications and consequences of living in a sinful planet of the old nature that once drove us. All the same, it leaves us ostracized, helpless, hopeless, and in despair. Donald Hegner observed the cursed leper-like fallen humanity has no options until he encounters the messianic king who will make all things new. His simple confidence in the ability of Jesus to cure his disease is impressive. If only he wills to do it, but this is precisely the work of the Messiah to restore the created order from its bondage and decay. The very presence of Jesus represents God's, yes, yes, I am willing to the request of this poor man And to all of us who suffer and languish in bondage to sin and brokenness. As Jesus reached out to the leper, God in Jesus has reached out to all humanity. This is the gospel. Like last week, Jesus looked at a man whose arms and legs perhaps didn't work and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's all well and good, but it's not my sins that made me have to get lowered through the roof on a mat. But Jesus sees all of us in our comprehensively broken and needy state. And he came to redeem all of us all the way to the utmost. We're all the lepers. This is what it means, friends, to be Denver United. This is who we are, always has been. It's just that it feels like it costs us a little more now because there's so much asking us to take care of number one, to keep our eyes on ourselves, to make sure that we're okay and that we're finding a little fun and feeling all right during this time. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, I'm trying to with my family as well and it's a little harder right now. But friends, no crisis changes who God called his people to be redeemed us, to be redeemers. And we are what this city is in desperate need of. Isaiah 58, and we'll close it up here. If you spend yourselves, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. We're called to rebuild the ancient ruins. And right now, more and more are being left in ruins. Ruins on top of ruins. Jesus restoring and rebuilding us, at work powerfully in us, sustaining us, and moving us to see others beyond ourselves, beyond our immediate concern. And then rebuilt, rebuilding the ancient ruins of this city. So this is what we're going to focus on for the second half of 2020. Look, I wish I could tell you how long COVID is gonna last. When we all get to come back together, take the masks off and do life like we used to. Nobody knows, but here's what we do know. There is a city crying out and in desperate need of hope. of people who are not throwaway people, who are made in the image of God, who have perhaps come to believe that I'm not worth being seen. God sees them. Will you? So we're going to undertake a series of city engagement initiatives starting this month in July with our annual Lincoln Park Backpack Drive. These are kids, deserving kids, kids with talents and a bright future who are right on the bubble of being able to have a functional education before COVID. What does that mean now? For whose families, parents and caretakers, many of whom are refugees, are single mothers, are people living on the or beneath the welfare line. For whom perhaps buying a backpack and filling it with the required school supplies is just a bridge too far, let alone now when their hours have been cut. And you buying a backpack and filling it with school supplies, making a trip through Target with your mask on and dropping it off isn't just your do-good checkbox for the week. It's believing in a kid. It's seeing somebody who the world allows you right now to fly right over the top of and not have to see, but whom God's eyes are always watching. A kid Who in heaven might say, thank you for giving me the opportunity to go to school, to have dignity, to learn, to break the poverty cycle, to become who God called me to be. What a glorious inconvenience. Next month, we're going to wrap around one of the underprivileged area schools of which we've had the opportunity during the COVID lockdown to serve several and do what we can do to help them get ready to serve students again during a time where everybody is rightfully concerned for their own safety and health. And then the month after that, we're gonna wrap around our elderly community who have been forgotten largely, who have been isolated for health reasons, and who are people whom Jesus thought of when he went to the cross. And we're going safely And responsibly and respectfully to visit retirement communities around our city and just come with the love of Jesus. And then after that, a month later, we're gonna do something else. And then after that, a month later, we're gonna do something else. Practical ways to express the love of Jesus and say to this city, God sees you. Say to people who are in hopelessness and despair, God knows your name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this incredible man, God, Redeemer, Redeemer, Savior, role model. I'm so glad you are head over all things for the church because my mind is going six ways. You're always focused. And Jesus, we want to be like you. Would you give us eyes to see those who are in our path, who are in our city, who are left to hopelessness? Would you give us hearts of compassion to answer the question, I am willing. Make us your ambassadors of love. It's in Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you all. We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com.